one final announcement just making sure everyone knows. Most of you do. An email went out this week that uh, let you know that Patty Wilson passed away this week. Patty is Emily Cochran's daughter, uh, Judy Southworth and Edie Mogg's sister, and Becca Johnson's mother. Uh, and we, our hearts go out to this family. We encourage you to be in prayer for them. There is a, a, a memorial service on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock at Covenant Presbyterian Church. As we turn our hearts toward the preaching of God's Word, and we come into the great prayer of Jesus here at the end of John 17, I've been thinking a great deal lately about um, seeking God's face, of how easy it is in the Christian life. There's, there's so much that is a part of the Christian life and the Christian culture and Christian tradition and, and the outward things that we are involved in Christianly that, uh, that it is possible to, to do all of those things and not do one thing and undo and undermine it all. And that is to know and love and to seek God in what we do, to know Him, and and to understand that in everything that we do when we teach Sunday school with our children, it's so that they would know Him, that when we meet for Sunday school on Sunday morning, it's because we want to know Him, that when we open our Bible each morning, it's not to check it off our list, but to seek to know Him, that we come on Sunday mornings and lift our hearts afresh open our Bibles again, that we might know the living God, that we might seek His face. And if we fail to seek His face, if we fail to seek Him and to know Him in a real way, and I find, you know, it's, it's an amazing, you might think, well, he's a pastor, and so he does this stuff all the time. He's spiritual by some default, or, you know, that I have some special magical power about it or something, and there's not. It's the it's same for me as it is for you, and how easy it is to do the Christian life fail to be with and to know to be still and to know God, which is what it's all about, isn't it? Here in John 17, we're in the first eight verses, the end of his time with his disciples in the upper room and Jesus has been sharing with them and giving them his final instructions and teaching and encouragement as he's leaving and then he turns to prayer and we're told Here in John 17, verse 1, hear the word of God. When Jesus had spoken all these words to them, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And and this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. And now they know everything. That everything that you have given to me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they've received them. And they have come to know in truth that I come from you. 
and they have believed that you sent me. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to your word this morning and I pray that we would not make the mistake of searching the scriptures daily and weekly, thinking that in them we have eternal life and fail to come to you, the living God, and live. So, Father, as we come this morning and bow the knee and open our ears, would you draw near and speak to us afresh? Draw us near, draw us in, and draw us deeper, that we might know you and love you in truth. That's what we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we think a lot about what does it mean to be Christian? Is it a list of things that we believe? Is it praying a certain prayer? And if I prayed that prayer 15 years ago and... That's what it's all about. Is it a set of rules? Is it, is, it, is it trying to be good or pretending to be good, which it sometimes seems to be? Is it about what we do and about what we don't do? What is the Christian life? What is Christianity about? And I think sometimes the message is confused as we preach it to ourselves or preach it to the world. A great part of Jesus' ministry was simply Helping people to see who God really is. I think that's underneath and at the bottom of all that Jesus said and did is helping people to see and to know who God really is. And so here he is in the last hours of his life. Literally the last hours. And and he says, my hour, my hour has come. And he means almost literally. Time is upon us. Not only, not only is our time over here in the upper room, this little intimate moment that we've had here, but he's saying my hour, my life, my journey on this earth is coming to an end. And so what does Jesus do in these final moments that he has? Is he prays. He prays here and then he leaves from here and he goes to pray some more. He prays. And he prays what might be called the Lord's Prayer. There's another Lord's Prayer that He's given to us is that which when we want to know how to pray, He teaches us and He gives us a pattern for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But here is Jesus actually praying. Here is Jesus spending time on His knees at the throne of grace and this is what comes out. This is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord praying. We're told all the way through Scripture that He prays. We're given little snippets here and there, but this is the longest prayer of Jesus on record. He's praying for himself a little bit here in the beginning, but largely you'll see the prayer is about his disciples. As he spends his final hours on the earth, his concern is for them. I hope that's my case as I'm facing that hour myself. You know, don't worry, you know, look my kids, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about those I leave behind. You know, I know where I'm going. I understand what awaits me. I believe and have faith and hope in Jesus here, as we're going to see as he lifts his eyes, he knows where he's going. His concern is for those he leaves behind, for his church, for us. So he talks about his relationship with the Father, the relationship that he had with his Father before he ever came into the world. And we touch here upon the mystery of the Trinity. As he's been saying to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to go away, but I will come to you in the person 
in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now, as he has been teaching them a great deal about the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Spirit as his presence and the Spirit who will teach them about, about Christ and reveal Christ to, to them, and now he reveals this relationship with the Father. And we touch the inner person of God here in his Trinitarian nature as the Son and the Father share a glory from all eternity. Jesus here, as he's praying, he sees past the cross. He knows his hour has come. He sees past the cross to the glory that he is re-entering. Not entering, but but re-entering. You see it there in verse 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with that glory that I had with you before the foundations of the world, before the world existed. See, it's important in knowing who Jesus is to understand what he says here. We've touched on this before many times. The glory that he shared with the Father before the creation of the world. You know, this is what John in his entire book, as we reach the end here into the Passion Week of Jesus in the last day, that John in his writing of this entire book has been about showing us who Christ, who God is and who Christ is as the Son of God and the Savior of men. Right? The first sentence of the book was, right? remember in the beginning was God. Or in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Right? It's there in your bolt and he was, he was in the beginning with God. He's with God. He was God and the Word became flesh. He laid aside His glory. He became a human being. He made himself nothing and he took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of a, of a savior. To die on a cross. And so as Jesus is anticipating though this, this, the glory of heaven, as he sees past the cross in the moment of his death, and he sees the glory that awaits him in the presence of his father, which is a hope that we all share, the glory that awaits us in the presence of the Father, even as he looks at this moment, he wants us to understand what is eternal life? What is it? Where do we get this hope of glory that Jesus has that drives out his fear and leaves him concerned only about those who come after him? Eternal life, he says in verse 3. This is a verse that I have come to again and again in my Christian walk, reminding me, centering me, bringing me back down to what, it, what it's all about. This is eternal life. To know you. Right? We do a lot of things. But this is eternal life. At rock bottom. To know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, you have sent. If you don't get anything else right, get that right. But if you get that right, you will get the rest right. If you know him, if you know him, right, and if you come to know him in this way where he then becomes the rich center of your life, then all that flows out will be the fruit of that relationship. You know, now some might say, well, knowing God, that's no big deal. That's easy, right? Everybody knows God. Right? Doesn't everybody know God? I mean, you take polls in the United States, and I think the numbers of people who believe in God is quite high. Sometimes it shocks me. I think it's like 85% or some large percent. You know there are atheists out there, but they're, they're actually a, a very small minority. Most people believe in God, and so 
You might say to me, everybody knows God, right? So this is the easy part. And the answer is no, not really. (laughs) See, what happens is people do believe in God, or they believe in a God. But it's interesting that, that people like the idea of God. And they like the comfort of believing in that God, and maybe all that comes with that package of, this, this sense that there is a God. But the truth is, most people don't believe in and don't want to believe in the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God to whom Jesus is talking about right here. You know, if you think about it, the God that most people believe in is a God they made up. You ever think about that? When you talk to people about God, the the general population out there, and you talk to them about their faith in God, their belief in God, you you discover that the God that most people believe in out there is a God they made up. It's what the Bible calls an idol. You know, and an idol can be a physical object. It often was in the Old Testament or parts of the world today. It could be an idol, but it also is simply wrong ideas about God, man-made ideas about God and who He is. There's an old saying that says that God made man in His own image from the beginning. And ever since then, we have been returning the favor. Right? I think there's a great deal of truth in that. We've been making God in our own image. You talk to people about who their God is and what their God is like. You know, a lot of Western people's idea of God is this. He is whoever I think He should be. He is whatever I think he ought to be like. And so what do they do? They just create what they think God should be like. And that's their God. And you find this as you have conversations with people. And I can say on multiple occasions, I've had people say to me as I've had conversations with them, and I've told them things about God from the scripture, who he has said he is. And their answer to me is, my God's not like that. My God would never send anybody to hell. Okay, well, you know, obviously the first question is, where did you get your ideas of God? And if push comes to shove, that's the way I think God would be. That's the way I, I want him to be. That's the way I think God should be, right? God ought to be this way. So really there's no source material out there. And you go around and you ask different people in terms of who God is and what it is, and they'll each give you an opinion of what it is, but it's just that. It's an opinion. It's what they've arrived at that they think God ought to be like. Man-made ideas where we simply recreate God in our own image. See, the great thing about this God is he never disagrees with me. Right? He never disagrees with me. He never interferes. Right? He values what I value. I have a high value on something, lo and behold, so does God, right? He, he, we share the same moral standards. You know, whatever my standard is and I think is right and good, well, check it out. That's what God thinks. My God thinks this is okay. It's all very interesting. Except it's not the true God. It's a figment of our imagination as we create him in our own image to satisfy our own thinking, our own way of life, our own comforts, our own indulgences, our own immorality, our own whatever it is. We've made him up. 
This is one of the indictments. This is one of the problems that God has with the human race since Genesis through the end of the Scriptures. Right? It's there in your bulletin under the second point, Romans chapter 1. Paul says that although they knew God, and what the argument of the Scripture is, that we have a sense and know that God is who He is. We have a sense and know who God is, but we suppress that knowledge. We, we push it down uh, this idea of who God is biblically and truly in order to create a more comfortable, more accommodating deity. No? Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to His as God, but it, they became futile in their thinking. They started having thoughts of God and about who He is and what He is like that aren't true and grounded in reality, aren't grounded in the, the truth of who He actually is. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Darkened by wrong, inaccurate ideas about who God is. Claiming to be wise, coming to teach who God is in their estimation, claiming to be wise, they actually become fools. Why? Because they made the classic blunder. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the true, the only true God, for what? For Images, man-made ideas. Ephesians 4 puts it this way, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. See, their understanding is darkness because is darkened because they have wrong ideas and false ideas, so they don't understand properly. And he says it's because of ignorance. And the ignorance here, ignorance doesn't mean someone's not smart. You can be very smart and ignorant. Ignorant just means you don't know something. I'm ignorant about the fine points of quantum mechanics. I'm, I'm not dumb. I might even be able to figure them out and give them the proper instruction. I just, I'm ignorant. I just don't know. And he is saying there are things that there is an ignorance that is in us, but he says our ignorance is due to the hardness of our hearts. And what is that pointing to? It's this, that we really don't want to know. Right? And that's really what it comes down to in the world. We don't want a God like that. We don't want a God like the Bible presents. People want to believe in God as long as they are still in charge. right? As long as we get to decide what's right and what's wrong. What, so that I can still do what I want to do. And God's not going to interfere or judge me or get in the way or that kind of thing. I want life. I want to live life on my own terms. I want to set my own priorities. You know, I want, I want to be in control. You know, a little bit like a, a spoiled child. We don't want a God who makes demands. We don't want a God who says no. We don't want a God who interferes. Jesus challenges all of this. He says, you know, eternal life is this. It's to know the only true God. The God who is. The God who made the world. The God who thought you up and gave you breath. When we weren't there at the foundations of the world. See, he says, we're not free to think about God any way we want. Because he is who he is. In fact, that's his name in the Old Testament, whether you translate, transliterate the name of God as Jehovah or Yahweh, it literally means, I am who I am. And if you want to know who this God is, you're going to have to let him tell you. Right? 
He tells us who he is. In some ways, that's true for all of us, right? If you want to know who I am, you can't just go on making things up about me. In fact, there's a lot, we call that slander, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. If you say things about someone that aren't true, but if you want to know me, you're going to have to talk to me, right? And you're going to have to let me tell you, and you're, I'm going to have to let you tell me who you are, what's going on inside there. Jesus challenges all of this. He says the most important thing in life, in life is to turn away from our false ideas of who and what God is and to let God be God and tell us who he is. The Bible calls this being reconciled to God. To turn away from false ideas that we've been kicking around and promoting out there. To turn away from false ideas and to turn back to the true and living God and be reconciled to who he is and to come to know and to love and to honor him as who he is, as God. And so to be reconciled to him. It's there in your bulletin under the second point, Colossians 1. Paul says it this way. Once you were alienated and hostile in your mind. And there's a truth that there is in the core of us, there is that part of us that resists a God like the God of the Bible. We don't want a sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, all-dictating God who tells me what to do, what I am to be. You know, we were hostile in our minds. Why? Because we're doing evil deeds and we want to keep doing our evil deeds and we don't want someone to tell us that we can't do what we want to do when we want to do it. He says, but now we have been reconciled in Jesus' body in the body of his flesh, in Jesus' body, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, another way of saying eternal life, to stand before God, forgiven and blameless and right with him as he truly is, to be in relationship with him, to know him, to walk with him. This is eternal life, reconciled to the one true God by the death of Jesus on the cross who pays the penalty for our sins and our ignorance. God wants you to know him. God wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants you to come home to who he truly is. Christianity then is a restored relationship with the God who is there. So many different ways to talk about Christianity, right? There are many ways that we can characterize it, being born again. Uh, you know, there are ways of, of, of reconciliation with God and, and uh, our sins being forgiven and ways that we can come to characterize the justification and all the ways that the Bible comes at it. But it, at the bottom, all of those things, what holds them all together ultimately is this. That all of those things happen to bring us into a restored relationship with the God who is there, who made us for himself. And so this is Jesus' work in verse 4. He talks about it and he says, I've glorified you on the earth. Right? I've, I've told them who you really are. I've lifted up your true nature and name. I have talked about you and revealed you to a people who have been very confused religiously. Right? Jesus enters into a culture that's very confused religiously. In many ways, that is our culture these days. And by and large, and in the mass out there, and at some level in my own heart and in here, Jesus comes to a people very confused about these things, and his work is to glorify the God who is truly there, to reveal to us who he really is. 
I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What is that work? And he tells us in the next couple of verses what that work is. In verse 6, he says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you have given to me. In verse 8, he says, I have given them your words. The words that you gave me, I gave to them. I've manifested your name. Right? And what is the name of God? And anybody who's done any Bible study, and we know from biblical culture, that in the name, the name encompasses all who God is. When you really manifest to glorify and express the name, you, you, you give an idea of all that God is in his character, in his nature, who he is. To manifest God's name is to tell the world who God really is. What he's really like. What he really, like he says next, says in his word. I gave you God's word. In other words, you don't have to guess. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to get together and have a seance, right? You don't, you don't have to sit around in, in, in groups and, and hammer out what we think is the best. If we were creating a God, you know, what would we? He tells us. Jesus' words in the whole of the scripture reveal who God is. And so Psalm 9, there under the third point, those who know your name, that is, those who truly know who you are. Those who know your name, they put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know his name, put their trust in him, seek him. And those are those who the Lord has not forsaken, but that he gives life, eternal life. Isaiah 5 says, I will return again to my place, God speaking. And he says, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. What does it mean to seek somebody's face? Right? It's to get, right? It's to get with that. It's to get up close and personal. You know, and at some level to seek their face is to see, you know, who they really are. You know, get eye to eye with someone. To seek the face of God. To seek him. Seek the face of God is to seek a true knowledge of God and to know Him and to love Him and to put our faith and our trust in Him. So eternal life then is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Right? And this then is the great business of life. As I said, if you could, do, you could do everything right and get this one wrong and we really miss it. And at the same time, this is then rises to that level of priority. If eternal life is to know the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, then, then the great business of life, the high priority in life is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, who he is, before we do anything else. Not just once back there. And I think that's what it's all about, my friends. It's Hosea 6.3 under your last point. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He is who He is. And if we press on to know Him, He will come to us as the showers. He will come to us like the spring rains that water the earth. Right? There's an invitation here. He will come to us. So let us press on to know the Lord. Does this describe your Christian life? 
And this is what challenges me when I come around to this point again and again in my walk with Christ. Does this describe my Christian life? Let us press on to know the Lord. And he will come to us like the spring rains. Right? He will come to us and make us fresh and new and give us life. Right? Let us press on to know the Lord. This morning, if you don't know God, all right, so wherever you are in your Christian life, I believe that this verse comes to us, this idea comes to us and is applied in each one of our lives. If you don't know Christ, and my, if you don't know God, and you haven't known the God of the Bible in this way, then my encouragement to you, my application would be, press on to know the Lord, the only true and living God, the God of the Bible who invites us to come to himself, who was made man and emptied himself and became nothing, took the form of a servant, laid aside his glory, to enter into our experience so that we might know this God. That we might be saved. If you don't know God, seek the face of God. Those who know His name will put their trust in Him. I believe it is time to put our faith in Christ. The hope that you're looking for, we will, we will see it, search and wrestle and stumble around, but the hope, the purpose, the meaning that you are looking for in life is here. It's in the one true and living God who has made you for himself. If you're a young person, you may have grown up in the church. And so this, in some ways, it's, it's, it's one of those things for me that how Christianity can become old, old hat. I didn't grow up in the church. You know, I didn't come to Christ till I was 18. But still, by the time you're somewhere down the road, how Christianity can become old hat. How it becomes the rut that we fall into and in what we do rather than a knowing the true and living God. If you grow up in the church, the question is for you as young people, as youth, and as you wrestle with it is, do you know him? Is, your, is it your parents' faith and, and that they've brought you here or in the course of things? I remember when my own son went through this, I think he was 15, and as part of his testimony, when he was 15 and he was Tempted it out here in the stuff of the world and he sees what other kids are doing and he grew up in our home and in this thing and that day came when he had to say, is this mine? Is this real? Is, is there, do I, am I going to know and love and serve a living God? Is this a real thing for me? And he had to come to his own faith and every young person has to do that. They have to say, is this faith mine? Do I know him? Do you know him? Press on to know the Lord. And that's for you and I if we've been in the church our, most of our lives. It's easy for, our, for Christianity to become a religion of works and worries. Right? Of doing and saying. We know the right things to do and we know the right things to say. But my friends, at every juncture in your life, God will stop you up short and the question will come, do you know him? Are you knowing him? You know, not just to know him in one sense back there, but are you knowing him? Today, as you are teaching your Sunday school class, does, it, does that come out of this, I, you know him, you know the eternal God, and you want them to know him. You know, whether you serve in any kind of leadership and wherever we are in serving, do you know Jesus? One of those scary verses in the Bible in Matthew 7, it's there under the last point. Jesus says, on that day, the last day, they're going to say to me, many of them, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not do these things? prophesied, we cast out demons, we did mighty works, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Right down at the bottom, 
where the rubber meets the road and life flows out of the, you know, protect the heart, it's the wellspring of life. He says, in there, I never knew you. They profess to know God, Titus 1, but they deny him by their works. They profess to know him. Do you profess to know or do you really know? And I say this to myself, and I've, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and you know, I'm a pastor and all these things, but I think it is still a question we have to keep coming to to draw us again that we would be still. You know, we are so busy. You know, you're busy with your children's activity. You're busy with work. We're working long hours. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're running around in church. Is that slice? You know, it's kind of that slice of life. You know, church is part of what I do. It's part of my overall busyness, and it's this thing. And, you know, God, God isn't a slice of an overall anything. Right? He is the center out of which we do everything or we do nothing. Because apart from him, we do nothing. We need to know him. It's the motive of everything we do. And just touching on these things. These, you know, why do we study the Bible? This is why we study the Bible. That we might know him who is the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Right? Why do you join a Bible study? We, to do that with other people. To, to know him. Why do we do evangelism? It's not so that we'll know him, it's so that they will know him. So that they will know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. You know, this is why we do tasks. It's why we do ESL. It's why we support foreign missions. It's why we go on foreign missions. It is that they might know him, the only true God. This is the main business of life. First for us, and then is our mission and ministry. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That those who don't know him might come to know him. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, let not him who boasts, but let him who boasts boast in this, in this only, that he understands and he knows me, and that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am he who is who he is, who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The great business of life is to be able to confidently say, to boast in the best sense of that word, I understand and I know the Lord. Today, this morning, oh my friends, let us press on to know the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that... uh, that it, that it becomes about so many things. But it needs to be about you. And we do so many things. And we forget to be still and know you. Father, will you help us to put you at the center. To draw near to you day by day. To make sure that underneath it all, we know the only true and living God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to save us from our sins. And that knowing you and loving you and so serving and honoring you is everything. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.